0: Episode 2. If a river does not flood, it is not a river.
1: Before we begin, a message about this series. We began working on Kalavasta in the summer of 2019, after the flood in 2018, but before the 2019 monsoon. And today, Kerala has found itself at the forefront of India's battle with COVID-19. The series begins with climate change, exploring Kerala's efforts to build environmental resilience. But as the COVID-19 crisis has unfolded, a conversation about the interconnectedness of societies, our relationship with the environment, and the inevitability of our future has begun. If anything, resilience is at the heart of global discussion. But Kerala has been thinking about resilience for a few years now. What has Kerala learned that it can share? Some of the episodes were already produced before the new reality of COVID-19 hit Kerala, and the conversations and events featured in them took place before February 2020. They provide the landscape of the shifting definition of resilience and set the context for the world we are living in now. And now, on to episode two. A well-known short story by Kerala's most beloved author, Tagoreesh Shankarapillai, is about a flood that took place in 1924. Here's how it starts. The temple was situated on the highest spot of the locality. There, the deity stood in water reaching up to its neck. Water, water everywhere. All the inhabitants of that place had gone in search of dry land. There was a watchman left in each of those houses which owned a boat. and Parayan had been standing in water for one whole night and day. He had no boat. His master had fled for his life three days back. Even as early as when the water seeped into the house, Chenin had built a platform with coconut stems and twigs. He spent two days sitting on it, hoping that the water would recede soon. Now there was knee deep water about the platform. Two rows of coconut leaves on the thatch of the roof were already under water. Chenin shouted from inside the house Who would hear that call? Who was there nearby? He was sure that it would take only less than 12 hours for the water to flow over the roof and that the end of his life and that of his family was drawing near. It had been raining for three days now. He somehow broke open the roof, got out and looked around in all directions. The Flood of 1924 is actually called the Flood of 99 because it took place in 1099, according to the Kerala calendar. It was when the Periyar River flooded in the monsoon months. In Amitav Ghosh's novels, his characters often remember time according to climatic events, this flood or that rain. This is true in Kerala as well, where many elderly Malayalis still root their memories to this event, and the flood of 99 is still a fearful memory. There have since been other big rains that we don't remember in quite the same way. In 61 in 84 and in 94, but the floods in 2018 were referred to as once-in-a-century floods, the closest in terms of its devastation. Kerala lies between the sea and the mountains. It's described as an emerald green sliver. From the beautiful, mysterious biosphere of the Western Ghats floats many rivers, as if a deal was struck between the land and the sea. It's this delicate balance that sustains the people of the state, and there is great pride in its beauty. In fact, it's at the heart of many of Kerala's important industries, beginning with tourism. But the recent disasters are forcing people to look at the state differently. Welcome to Kalavasta, a six part series on how Kerala is reckoning with climate change. Ladies and gentlemen, boys girls, we have arrived at Tirantrum. Episode 2. If a river doesn't flood, it isn't a river. In this second episode, we explore Kerala's environment and landscape. We try to understand what's happening to Kerala's scarcest resource, land. And the question that has been debated so many times before development versus the environment. And we understand this debate in the larger context of the Western Ghats biosphere, the 150 million year old mountain range and UNESCO heritage site that borders the state. And we find out how land and water connects to Kerala's cultural identity, its collective heritage, and individual memory. If you haven't listened to our first episode, please do.
2: Yeah, if you look at Kerala's uh, landscape, 48% of Kerala is highlands, 41% is midland. And just ten percent is just coastal area, which is a lowland. so forty eight percent is highland is forty eight percent is actually Western Ghats area.
1: This but, is Vijubi, right now, a journalist with The Times of India in Kochi. I'm,
2: I'm a Caroline, I'm a Kochi, but I never I, I never thought about Western Ghats. I mean just because I started doing environment reporting, only then I realized like there is this beautiful place called Western Ghats. I mean that's there is a huge dearth of awareness about western Ghats uh, and and the flora and fauna over there. The only thing uh, we have learned, in our schools, we have 44 rivers which come down from Western Guards. That's all we know. But we don't know, like, there are so many other things about Western Guards. I mean, about communities leaving, about tribal communities leaving, indigenous communities leaving over there, who actually preserve the Western Guard region.
1: What Viju says may seem like it doesn't fit with what we know about Kerala. Its strong development indicators, its commitment to education that was made long ago, starting from the 1970s.
2: Kerala had this huge thing, like you had your social development model, you have a health model, you have your uh, uh, 100% literacy model. Unfortunately, we never had an ecological awareness uh, model. I mean, that is completely missing. We need to bring in.
1: One of the issues that comes really often these days while talking about the environment is the remittance economy. The biggest contributor to Kerala's economy is remittances from Keralites living and working around the world. It's kind of like an invisible force that powers the state. And it started with the oil boom in the Middle East an important marker in Kerala's development history. In the 70s, 80s and 90s, a large proportion of the workers in the Gulf were from Kerala.
2: You have money coming from outside. You, uh, where are we investing it? We are investing it all in real estate. You are just constructing, right? This whole remittance culture, actually, I, I would say we got a bubble. We got a very nice bubble. People have a lot of money. But then where do you invest?
1: Land. Much of this money was used to buy houses and apartments. And the result has been a rampant real estate boom, but one that has occurred with very little monitoring or regulation. Most worryingly is the state of Kerala's hills that are being emptied inside out because of quarrying and the seemingly endless demands of construction.
2: There's a pre-flood Kerala and post-flood Kerala.
1: Landslides in the mountains have become frequent, taking many lives and homes, like in Nilambur in 2019.
2: I think we should start with uh, uh, the conservation of Western Guards, protection of Western Guards. Uh, ecosystem, which is 150 million years old, much older than Himalayas. You can't just go up the hill and just destroy those uh, th- those areas and come down and say that we need to have a house there.
1: Srikumar Chattopadhyay is an unlikely Kerala expert, a soft-spoken, mild-mannered Bengali who came to work as a human geographer in Kerala a year after the National Center for Earth Science Studies, or NCESS, was set up. And he's been in Kerala ever since the 70s because he says he's allowed a great deal of intellectual freedom here.
0: The work environment, freedom to work, that is, and Kerala landscape actually attracted me. And uh, Over the years when I started working, uh, I felt that I can contribute in the development process of the state. And whoever with the government, they like to listen to the professional. That's a, something which has really attracted
1: all of us. In the quiet buildings of the NCSS, he talked to us for hours about the change in land use in the state's recent history and especially its effect on rivers.
0: If a river does not flood, it is not a river.
1: This is a fundamental characteristic of a river. The problem is that Kerala is a highly urbanised state and as its towns and cities have grown, they have encroached on the floodplains more and more and constructed on wetlands and back swamps.
0: If you look around the Kochi, almost all the paddy fields have gone. In Trivandrum city also, when you came, there are paddy fields within the city, which is almost gone. So with the major city, the paddy fields are going up. So the flood cushioning area is gradually reducing. Now it is a time to take a balance.
1: What we call flooding is actually caused by our higher levels of encroachment and the consequent reduced carrying capacity of the land.
0: And we are paying a price for the development. It is not individually anybody can be responsible. As a whole, the way we framed our development is a challenge. And that's the issue. We have to try to, whether we can reframe it.
1: In Kerala's hill stations, like Munar or even in Wayanar, there are constant tussles between the land mafia and those against illegal encroachment and construction. And the same fight is recast in a hundred ways in a hundred different places, with communal angles, are justified by development demands or the needs of plantations, and this has created a deadlock on productive discussions. And we're going to get into some of these stories in later episodes. All of these issues were pointed out in Madhav Gadgil's report of 2011. Madhav Gadgil, an unlikely household name in Kerala today. In the late 2000s, the central government commissioned ecologist Madhav Gadgil to study the Western Ghats and suggest ways in which the ecologically fragile Western Ghats could be protected. Submitted in 2011, the report presented a set of observations and recommendations, and in it, Gadgil suggested that states follow a zoning system that protected the biosphere.
2: What does Madhav Gadgil report say? He's not talking about forest areas. He's saying forest is anyway you don't, you, know, you don't need to touch forest areas. The buffer zones need to be preserved so that the forest remains intact. So, what he did was, we had three grades. He had he this ecological sensitive zone 1, 2, 3, right? I would say zone 1 and zone 2 has a 50% quarries over there. So, that is where the conflict starts.
1: When the report was released, it was immediately controversial. cast as an environment versus development issue, one that polarized the state into for and against camps, it spurred misinformation campaigns that resulted in great political pushback. The report was shelved, and a second one was commissioned. And even the Kasuri Rangan report, its successor, is still in limbo today. But the 2018 floods brought memories of Gardgil hurtling back. Having witnessed the devastation left in their wake, everyone turned back to Gardgil. Today, elections are fought on pro- and anti-Gardgil manifestos. It's not that the environment doesn't matter to Kerala. There have been many important environmental movements in the state. The Save Silent Valley movement in 1973 is perhaps one of the earliest, and it was started to protect 98 square kilometers of rainforest, pristine rainforest, where a hydroelectric project was planned. In August 2018 when the dams were opened in the Western Ghats Aranmula town was badly hit Aranmula sits on the holy Pampa river that flows down from the Western Ghats to the sea In these fertile wetlands of southern Kerala three rivers the Pampa the Achankovil and the Manimalai broke their banks that year and in some parts flowed as one So
2: during the floods what happened in Pamba was Pamba was encroached and Pamba took away all the shops um, and the parking lot, and there is Ramamurthy Mandapam. All those areas were taken away. And if you go to Pamba, as, uh, uh, it's, it's actually if you go there, it's like a, uh, it's like a war zone. I mean, it's like you have, you have piles of muds all over. Uh, you have a very, 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 very depressing sight.
1: the floods in 2018 were a third less intense than the great flood of 1924 yet they took more lives and destroyed much more infrastructure and they took away more than just property they hit hard at the cultural heritage of the state it seemed to chip away at the very identity of the people and at places and things that define them
2: i mean you go to aramla you feel that you can actually feel how kerala was like 100 years ago prosperous you have so much of paddy so much of vegetables during the Onam festival, you have this huge uh, Aranmula Sadhya, where you have 104 one, uh, dishes, variety. I mean, that 104 variety of dishes shows that how prosperous Kerala was. Armula mirror, the artisans, the workshops, all got washed away. They had to stop the race. I mean, what I'm trying to say is like, all your micro-traditions are getting affected.
1: We visited Aranmula town. It's a tranquil, idyllic kind of place. Quiet with its main street leading up to the steps of the old Parthasarthi temple, and a beautiful river in its backyard. It was hard to imagine the floods here because everything was so clean and brightly painted.
2: Interestingly, uh, the shops have started coming back to uh, these areas. encroachment is starting again.
1: This might seem completely surprising. Why would people repeat actions for which they have already paid a price? After 2018 and 2019, people in Kerala now fear the rains. The relationship they once had is broken, but those years will also be remembered for the incredible show of compassion that Malayalis displayed for each other and of the new communities they formed. 2018 marked a moment when they realized how ill-equipped the state was to deal with disaster. Sri Ranganathan is an elderly man from Aranmula. He worked for many years at the rubber board, People know him locally as a prolific author, photographer and documenter of Arunmula's history. In his house, Sri Ranganathan had collected over 3,000 rolls of film over the years and he had planned to set up a museum of Arunmula's history. We sat in his house, a stone's throw away from the river, and he told us (laughs) that Arunmula has always regularly flooded. (laughs) And he cupped his hand around his ankle to show us how high the water would rise. August of 2018 was different, he said. It rained incessantly, and the water slowly rose. In the beginning, he and his wife thought it was the usual rain, because the water was rising very slowly. Before bed, they moved all their books from the lower shelves to higher up, and went to bed sometime after one o'clock in the morning. That year, no early warnings were released to citizens about the possibility of devastating floods. When the dams were opened, the waters gushed, and the flood levels
3: suddenly rose. The
1: water levels had risen a foot and a half in an hour, covering the bed and inundating their room. Shri Ranganathan and his wife waded through the waist deep water and carried as much of their precious belongings and basic supplies a stove, a gas cylinder and some food up to the first floor They camped out there the whole day and sometime through the day he remembers hearing a loud bang as their fridge toppled over They tied a green sari to their balcony which helped rescuers identify their house when they were rescued the following day in that one rain, he lost all 3,000 rolls of film.
3: the moon and the whole, 3,000 rolls of negatives lost.
1: Shobha Vishwanath, an entrepreneur from Srivandrum, was one of the first to set up networks that allowed people to help in the rescue effort. Listen to this retelling of the floods that shows how the rain triggered a wave of unprecedented solidarity, action and a search for answers.
4: All I did was, like, immediately started a WhatsApp group and uh, added everyone, like, whoever I knew, all my media friends, especially radio, FM, uh, corporates, CEO friends, all the IAS officers, RPS officers, um, students, students from colleges, especially uh, volunteers we needed. So And medical friends, all my doctor friends, uh, whoever owned hospitals, uh, transportation people. I mean, we added everyone, whoever could, you know, spread the message and help us. Like everyone we're out there uh,
1: rescuing, you know. Everyone, whether they were elected representatives or officials or common folk, pitched in. Once Shoba had the group set up, they began setting up collection points and drawing up lists of relief material. There were WhatsApp groups for volunteers, for medical teams, for communication and media, for suppliers, for sponsors, for transportation and logistics.
4: We had no prior experience. I had zero knowledge about like logistics and, okay, I, I did my MBA, but then uh, I never thought I would handle operations or logistics in my life but it all happened organically and naturally and uh, we just went with the flow it was all a I mean I don't know how to say this explain this
1: and all along the calls kept coming and each describing the desperation of stranded people while the rains pounded down
4: so, you know, I've been getting calls saying that people are stuck here in the second floor and uh, the water uh, level is rising and, uh, you know, we need help. There are pregnant women, there are, like, uh, women and children, there are uh, older citizens, there are, like, you know, cattle. There are, I mean, endless calls. I cannot tell you my experience uh, that one week.
1: Shobha started to realise there was a kind of feeling that was growing People wanted to help and do things, and they wanted to be part of something.
4: It was so, so, so good to see like um, youngsters coming forward, and you know, till then we had this uh, what to say this bad name, maybe saying that you know we are always stuck in the phones, and uh, you know uh, we don't work, we don't care about the society, we don't like you know. After the floods, that name was there. It was all gone.
1: Perhaps the bravest and most fearless of all the volunteers were the fishermen of Kerala, who selflessly gave up months of daily wages and rescued people.
4: Um, Big salute to our fishermen. Who were like, you know, superheroes who went with their boats and for the rescue without even caring about their family, what whether they are eating or drinking, you know, whether they have because they all are like bread-earners. Like every day they go for fishing and they bring money for their
1: family uh, and they survive. Sri Ranganathan and his wife were rescued by fishermen in small rubber dinghies. The flood forced even animals to flee. As he and his wife were rowed away from their house, they remember seeing wildlife. Birds, snakes, rats, and other small animals hanging from the trees
3: around them. While
1: people were undoubtedly affected, scores of animals lost their
3: lives in the deluge.
1: He says he's never seen prey and predator sit so close to each
3: other.
1: The government machinery kicked in a few days later. Shobha clearly describes the feeling of those weeks. And she remembers the lessons that they learned. How much could be achieved if everyone, people and government all worked together.
4: I get goosebumps thinking that, you know, the way Kerala um, came together as one unit uh, without even seeing whether he's a Hindu or Muslim or like Christian or like what religion or what caste or where you come from, what, you know, financial background you're from. There were so many people stuck inside like, you know, in the remote villages where they didn't even get water to drink. So we wanted to go there where big trucks won't go. We took the boat, we went, like, you know, inside there are small, small, even islands where we went and distributed water and uh, food. And like, um, you know, I saw children, uh, two kids fighting for a bottle of water. And there were no clothes for them to change. There were women without sanitary pads. They were, oh my God, that experience. I will never forget. I, um, or We all understood the value of life and, uh, you know, love and sharing and caring. This one thread taught us everything, I think, I believe.
1: Kerala's identity seems to have been irrevocably changed by the floods. Its romance about the rain has been replaced by a wariness, but also a memory of what could be achieved by real community action. And it has opened up a possibility for people to talk about their real relationship with land. In our next episode, we look at institutional responses to these events. After the immediate response, how is the state and the government learning from these experiences? And how is the development model changing for the better? Thanks to Sri Ranganathan, Professor Shrikumar Chattopadhyay, Shobha Vishwanath and Vijubi. I'm Radhika Vishwanathan. Kala Vasta is brought to you by the World Bank. For more information, go to worldbank.org forward slash Kerala podcast.